0: This is Shopify Masters, the e commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14 day trial, visit Shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actual tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that took a product his dad invented all the way to Kickstarter and smashed his $100,000 goal by raising $800,000 and just broke $1 million in total pre-sales after pre-selling on a Shopify store. In this episode, you'll learn what are the keys to having a high Kickstarter video, how to market a 30-day Kickstarter campaign, and how to get pressed by looking at other websites of other companies in your same industry. Today, I'm joined by Beiruz Hariri from Nora at SmartNora.com. Nora is a non-invasive snoring solution that stops snoring before it wakes your sleeping partner and it was started in 2015 and based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Beirouz. Hi, Felix. Thanks for having us. Cool. So tell us a little bit more about your story and what is the, the product that you sell?
1: So Nora is actually very much inspired by how people deal with each other's snoring, uh, which is, you know, while we are still patient with each other in the early part of the night, we give each other a very small nudge. And what we're actually doing is we are basically stimulating the muscles that get uh, relaxed as we fall asleep, right? Uh, So same thing is happening on the throat muscles. And as they get more relaxed, the airway collapses. And that's why we snore. It creates this vibration. So what Nora does is creates a small movement uh, under the head uh, of the snoring person. And the movement is very small. Uh, It's uh, about only two inches over 30 seconds. Uh, So they don't really wake up, but it does the trick. And it uh, creates the stimulation, opens the airway, and people breathe normally again. And all of this happens before the snoring gets loud enough to wake up the partner. Uh, So it's a little bit of a preemptive solution, if you will.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I'm you know, I'm not a huge snorer, but I've been known to snore. And if my fiance was listening to this podcast, she'll definitely want to go on onto uh, your website and pre-order this. Um, because I had no idea that that was a, the kind of, not the science behind it, but the the actual cause of it. But that, that's uh, ingenious. So how did you, like, what's your background? How did you come up with this this product, this idea?
1: So the credit actually goes to the inventor, which happens to be my father and and a mechanical engineer and serial, serial inventor. So Basically, it was a solution to his problem (laughs) to begin with. Mm -hmm. And we found it really effective. We started testing it more and more. Then we partnered with the sleep lab here. Then we ended up uh, becoming a health venture at uh, Mars, um, which is an accelerator uh, for all things from clean tech to health here in Toronto. Uh, So the project basically kind of gained momentum as we saw better, uh, better results. My own background, I'm a product and service designer, I've uh, done a lot of work here in Toronto and um, some work also internationally uh, based out of San Francisco and my focus has always been human-centered design, doing qualitative research and designing something from ground up uh, with the end users. So um, when we actually kind of got more and more serious about starting the company, Kickstarter, um, to us, felt very uh, natural because now we get to actually kind of co-create this with 4,000 people uh, who are going to be our first uh, uh, adopters.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so your, your father is a SIR inventor. Uh, you, know, you have a lot of, um, I guess, experience in, the, in that kind of uh, uh, working with him or hearing about his ideas. How did you know that this particular invention was the one or the, it was the opportunity that you guys should, have, should pursue as, uh, you know, to turn into reality, turn into an actual business?
1: Well, I think one is uh, the obvious, but that is the market size. Like 40 to 50% of all people deal with problem of snoring, and by extension, so do their partners. So it's actually a really high percentage of people who uh, deal with it varying degrees of uh, seriousness, I guess, you know, from being annoyed two nights a week to not really getting any good sleep. Um, And in the long term, it can actually lead to, you know, health uh, problems if it's, if it's kind of an ongoing uh, bother at night, uh, so I think that was that was the obvious sign that this is. Uh there's a lot of demand out there, and whoever we talk to knew someone. I mean, I can tell you, hey Felix, uh, snoring, tell me a story, and yeah, you definitely have one or two.
0: Yeah, so you knew this was a huge problem. A lot of people have this particular problem that your product was going to solve. But I feel like there was there isn't really any invention like this yet, or maybe I'm not. I'm just not familiar with the space to know. But you know, obviously there's like strips for your nose and all that. Those are pretty common, I guess, commercial products for this problem did you did you guys feel like it would be an uphill battle to get people to look at um, the solution for snoring in this kind of a different way
1: yeah I think it depends on who who it is um, people who have dealt with it as a common as an ongoing problem uh, they probably tried a few things and some of them haven't worked or have worked um, so definitely getting people's attention to pay uh, give some time basically to this and see the science behind it, Um, that was something we knew uh, early on. Um, And uh, that's partly why Nora is designed very differently. It doesn't look like a typical uh, over-the-counter solution. It looks nice. It's stylish. It could kind of uh, sit on the bedside and you wouldn't know uh, what it is or what it does. So we definitely wanted to differentiate from a design point of view and then also from the function point of view, and that's where the important... um, the important uh, innovations are, is that it's actually comfortable to use because it doesn't touch any part of the body. It's such a slow motion that doesn't wake you up. And if we always talk about this kind of um, field of snore solutions out there, there is uncomfortable ones that work and comfortable ones that don't work. And we are probably the only or very few ones that are comfortable and actually are effective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you kind of hinted at this already um, a little bit earlier about launching on Kickstarter. So you guys, um, let's we'll, we'll start there. How how much of the product did you already have designed or prototyped or maybe manufactured before you decided to bring this over to Kickstarter? Mm-hmm.
1: So we definitely went as far as proving the concept, uh, getting expert advice. So we already had a partner with the sleep lab, had already become... Uh, Part of the, the incubator marts that I mentioned in Toronto. Um, so, basically, kind of making sure the experts out there have seen this and see the potential in it. And the product was actually developed over uh, the year in 2015 um, between our garage and people's bedrooms. So, we would kind of make an iteration, put it in the bedroom, get some feedback. Um, and, you know, I have to say thanks to many, many friends <laughs> who shared the. Uh, kind of sleep journals and sleep diaries with us. Um, but that was that was the process until we kind of felt like it's time to kind of wrap it up and define the features and put it on Kickstarter.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said that you worked with a lot of experts and you know, get them to try it out or get, get their expert opinion on it. Did they uh, tell you anything that made you have to change course drastically or to change the design of the product drastically?
1: I don't think there was like any big U-turns in the process because the initial spark where the idea was uh, kind of creating this motion in the pillow, and that's something that we had come to do manually. And the spark for the invention basically was, oh, I could, you know, I could automate this thing, uh, so I don't need to be doing this all over the night. So, that, so that the core concept was there. But um, as any product that needs to deal with human behavior, you know, sleep time habits, there are a lot of nuances there. Uh, if you want to make it really fit people's lifestyle, you have to consider a wide range of user stories, I guess, right? Mm. Some of the, if I give you like one example of something that directly came out of the test with users, uh, some people are watching Netflix or you know are having a conversation before they fall asleep. So one of the features that came out of that observation was adding a delayed start. So I'm ready now, but I wanted to start listening in 20 minutes uh, after I fall asleep.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think with Kickstarter, a lot of um, I guess companies or inventors that go on there, they will you know launch a project or or a campaign. Much much earlier than than it seems like you guys did, right? They would they they might not have much, they might not have any test or testing at all. They might not work with a sleep lab or any kind of experts or labs like like you guys did. Um, did you feel like you guys were you know completely ready to to launch at the time that you decide to launch a Kickstarter campaign, or did you feel like you still needed to do more more work before you were prepared? No,
1: I think we we're pretty pretty confident when we we're launching. But the the part of the story that Makes that a big decision whether you want to launch a Kickstarter or not is the amount of work running a campaign actually takes right uh, so we did dedicate a lot of time to learn about Kickstarter, read all the resources out there uh, plan our own campaign, and we ran our own campaign uh we did we did have one p r agency and a specialized advertising partner, but uh, all the strategy all the content everything kind of came uh, came from our team uh, and that actually took you know, a lot of planning and a lot of kind of hands-on-deck moments, uh, and uh, we, have, we had only a 30-day campaign, so we didn't want to get kind of too distracted by just kind of going into campaign mode, but managed to raise um, over 800000 uh, US dollars.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. The, and to kind of give a little perspective to this, your original goal was just $100,000, ended up uh, you know, raising over $800,000 from uh, 3,400 backers. Um, did you ever expect that it would do this well? I think we, had,
1: we were cautiously optimistic given the size of the, uh, the problem. Uh, I think what we discovered was that the, even the younger demographic that is usually on Kickstarter, uh, kind of, it, was, it clicked with them as well. Um, And that was one of the great things for us. We kicked off the campaign and and from day one, two, it was already kind of viral. And we didn't really, after the first few hours, we didn't really know anyone who was um, backing us. So it was uh, definitely, um, we got a really good uh, boost from the organic traffic on Kickstarter as well.
0: Yeah, and I think you, earlier you were saying about how much you know work goes into running a campaign. Did you have any idea that I guess the the level of effort, level of work that would be required to launch a campaign on Kickstarter?
1: Yeah, we had been warned.
0: <laughs> you spoke to other Kickstarter um, campaigners. Yeah, I mean, there's
1: um, there are more and more people. I think in every kind of uh, community of entrepreneurs or. Uh, especially hardware companies that you look there's, you can find a g- few really good examples who got their start on Kickstarter we have a few really good uh, companies here in Toronto who got their start that way uh, so yeah and the other thing that I would say if anyone is thinking of starting a campaign just reach out people are so generous like we got amazing advice amazing resources
0: yeah, that's definitely something I've heard is that that community of not just backers, but like we're not just creators, but backers as well. They um, are all, you know, very supportive of launching a Kickstarter. It's like a whole different community on there. So, what, what would you say is like the most time consuming thing about launching a campaign on Kickstarter for anybody out there that's thinking about starting a campaign? Um, definitely the video.
1: Most con- time consuming, but also the most important. Everything rides on it. And uh, what we found is basically. Kickstarter visitors have been trained over the time you know it 's like the convention is you do watch the video and then you judge whether you actually even want to read the page um so it's a it's a very important catalyst, and you know we probably- sh- uh, shot our video four or five different times and edited it a dozen times or more and just we weren't shy about showing it to people and getting getting feedback um and we just had to learn to you know. Don't defend it. Just hear the feedback and respond accordingly.
0: And did you do this in-house, the, the video? Yeah, we did. What are some like keys then to having a, a good and compelling video?
1: One thing we found that really connected well with people was humor. Uh, we didn't take ourselves too seriously. Granted, our topic of snoring is something that you can poke a little fun at. There is, mm. There's always some guilt there for people who have a chronic uh, snoring problem. But it's something you can make a little light of. and. You know, uh, when we are talking about the solution, we can kind of bring that angle in um, and being very informative. So the same way I was explaining in the beginning to you how the product works and you found it a little interesting to kind of get get a little insight into the science of it. uh, We found that people really appreciated uh, that aspect of it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you said that uh, earlier that you, you did most of this in house, but you also worked with a PR agency and an advertising partner. Can you give us a little rundown of how you marketed this campaign over the 30 days?
1: So, we started uh, the key, I think, is starting early. Uh, and that's the number one advice you will get whenever you read some of the resources. You want your friends, family, extended network to know that you're up to something, right? Uh, so, we started our Facebook page about a month and a half two months before the campaign uh, invited our friends to it and that was probably the first time some of them even heard that we are you know we are focusing on this product yeah. and that and kind of building that ambient awareness um, was really important and then as we got closer the the nice thing about it is people who are in your network and hear about it the ones who are interested will reach out either with encouragement or questions so you already have a list of people who are most interested or your potential first backers. Uh, so we actually compiled that list and tried to get commitments from people. So if you're interested, you know our early birds are going to go uh, live at this hour and this date, try to purchase within the first hour because it's a limited number that's going to go. And that really worked really well. So we had, uh, out of the list of interested friends, maybe two-thirds of them uh, backed us within the first hour or two And that gives you a great boost in terms of popularity on Kickstarter. And once you end on the popular page, there is so much just organic traffic that you can write on.
0: Yeah, I've seen this uh, tactic. Uh, I'm not sure if I've just been noticing it more or if it's like, uh, I guess, best practice now of having these early bird offers, right? I think you guys have an early bird as well. And it sounds like the goal is to get a lot of traction very early. And the main focus, at least in the very first few days, is just try to get on that popular or kind of make your product, your campaign trending. Was that your uh, intention?
1: Yeah, and the other big thing is credibility. I mean, uh, people who know you, are, uh, already trust you. Uh, so it's uh, a big dynamic in Kickstarter is to show people who are strangers that you have this community, you have all these friends, you connect your Facebook. Uh, Indiegogo goes as far as showing how many friends you have on Facebook as, as a way of showing credibility, right? Yeah. Uh, so if your friends are there and willing to support you, that's a good signal to strangers who are hearing about you and your product for the very first time that you're, you're in it for real.
0: Right, that makes a lot of sense. Just having that social proof, I think, knocks down a lot of barriers. That uh, you know, strangers on the internet that might not know you, it uh, knocks down those barriers so that they trust you and then eventually, are you know, commit to pre-order or eventually buy your product. Um, so, the the PR agency and um, advertising partner, can you tell us a little bit about how you you worked with them?
1: So, uh, PR agency, typically, uh, I think, what we learned was, you you can expect your PR agency to do some strategy for you, uh, but at the end of the day, you're probably the person with the most insights because you've spent a year learning about the market, learning about your product, competition, all that stuff. So um, never kind of just rely on an agency to be able to come up with that strategy for you because either you have to spend a lot of time communicating with them or you have to rely on their most educated, I guess, common sense approach to things, unless it's a very specialized product and you're working with a specialized uh, firm. And on the advertising side, I think there are a few kind of uh, now uh, Kickstarter household names <laughs> out there. Uh, just work with someone you're comfortable with. Uh, there's also a lot of people who are very aggressive. They will kind of suggest that you, um, you know, bulk up your prices by 30 40% so they can take that that much off of your campaign as their, uh, as their fee, uh, which, you know, it's kind of a little counterintuitive because the idea with Kickstarter is you want your early backers to get a good deal, not a, not a bloated one because you need to pay um, very kind of large fees for advertising.
0: Mm-hmm. So these are like, uh, almost like affiliates that are helping you sell your, or helping you uh, raise funds by promoting it to their audience? No, we did
1: basically, uh, the most effective thing we did was Facebook advertising. Uh, but what we benefited from is working with, working with a partner who specializes in uh, Kickstarter advertising on Facebook so that they know where those early adopters are, they know what the lookalike audiences are uh, that you're looking for, and they've probably ran kind of similar campaigns in health and sleep. Uh, so they have, they come with some uh, good kind of demographics to start from.
0: Right. So if you were to do this again, would you, uh, you know, do it all in-house or do you think that you would still outsource uh, portions of the the promotion and marketing of the Kickstarter campaign?
1: I think we would do it in-house. Um, mm-hmm. And again, we, I have a design background. We had designers on the team. Uh, you do want to make sure you have great communications skills on hand, um, even if yourself, you or more of a technology-oriented person, more of an engineer. Uh, you want someone who uh, is there to explain things more clearly. And uh, this is something we found, actually, uh, that we didn't think would be our biggest uh, strength on our campaign, but turned out to really uh, help us connect with our backers. So halfway through our campaign, you know, we were full-on campaign mode, not really getting much sleep, and some of our backers wanted to see an additional video of some uh, more just raw footage, basically, of the device working. And right before us, there was this other very uh, kind of famous campaign, the Laser Razor on Kickstarter that went all the way up to $4 million and got suspended. Um, I can't really judge based on the evidence that they put on the page whether they should have been suspended or not, but their technical explanation made sense. It was just that, they took a very raw video from an iPhone and put it on their page. And it's hard to explain things in, in kind of very uh, brief communication. Um, so once we get the request for the additional video, we spent a whole two weeks basically uh, making sure we are filming something in a dark bedroom because that's where normal works. Uh, that still people can uh, view and understand online. And that's Take some planning. That we did storyboards. We did kind of uh, layouts of how we're going to show the information. Tested it with people, and then put out that second video. And it was really well received. And our most skeptic backers, we are actually still with us, and still kind of um, we have conversa- ongoing conversations with them. That's the point where they turn into our biggest advocates. And some of them even right now, if you look on the comments page on our campaign. If I'm kind of slow in one day and don't get to respond to some comments, some of those backers are the ones who will go say, oh, actually they've mentioned this in this FAQ here. Uh, So (laughs) it's really nice to see that once you communicate well and make sure you kind of honor the requests of your backers, uh, they're the first ones to be the most supportive
0: right it's it's um, interesting because once you are you know communicating well you start to develop advocates that have you know heard your message and they are going to help represent you and which is exactly what happened for you Um, so when you say that you want to be good at communication you're talking specifically about uh, communication between your company your brand your product and the, the backers yeah yeah and you found that video worked best for you guys
1: well, as soon as we put that video up, our conversion rate doubled. Wow. So, we basically, to us, it was the most boring footage because it was just raw footage of someone sleeping. But, uh, but that's what people wanted to see. So, we just listened to them. Um, and that's, you know, if uh, five people are vocal, probably there is 500 people who are not. And th- you have to really kind of listen carefully for the few that have the time to send you a message and ask for something.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So are you just um, taking questions that you are seeing uh, being asked in the comments and then answering them in the video? Or what was like the process behind figuring out what should go into a, a follow-up video?
1: Um, I think it was mostly, uh, like you said, consolidating the questions, understanding why are they being asked, even maybe doing a little back and forth with the person who asked the question. right? Uh, so why is it that you're curious about this? Is it something from your own experience or is it something about the product? Uh, you're wondering how it would function and then going from there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, was there anything that surprised you about uh, running your own Kickstarter campaign, even though you had a lot of kind of mentorship from other campaigns in the past?
1: I think a pleasant surprise was to see how much uh, organic traffic on, on Kickstarter is worth. So, at some point, half of all of our pledges were coming from organic. Granted, it could be people who have come to our page because of our ads and then have browsed around and come back. Uh, But I'm sure still a pretty big percentage of that is coming from direct traffic. Um, And the other thing is, um, you know, advertising conversion rates are somewhere between 1%, 3%, 5% would be a crazy kind of... uh, Campaign that is doing uh, great uh, on Kickstarter. You have days where your conversion rate is like 36x, meaning for every one dollar spent, you're earning 36. Wow! Uh, which is <laughs> which is abnormal, but also shows the value of the brand and the value of affiliation um, with with Kickstarter. And um, they've done a great job of, you know, uh, curating a community and also being a little more selective with the campaigns they allow on the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to get an approval. It's not like you can just launch any campaign.
0: Right. So you are in a very uh, interesting kind of phase within your with your business uh, because the Kickstarter campaign uh you know didn't end too too long ago and you just launched your Shopify Shopify store not too long ago. So you're in this transition period between your success on Kickstarter and now transitioning over to Shopify. Can you give us a little bit of uh, an idea what that, that transition was like or is like
1: so I think we found it pretty intuitive. Um, I have known from kind of, since we are in Toronto, I know a lot of friends who are at Shopify, but I've never actually gotten to be a paid customer myself. So um, we found it an easy transition. We also, I think we benefited from kind of planning very meticulously <laughs> that transition and making sure we switch it on right away uh, because it's still without going into advertising and additional PR Uh, there's huge residual traffic from the campaign, especially when it succeeds at the very end. That's another uh, news generator, right? So you want to capitalize on that. So we actually had the first few days um, following uh, end of our Kickstarter and beginning of our Shopify are still some of the biggest days um, in terms of the number of sales on our Shopify store.
0: I see so the campaign ends and successfully you know shatters the original goal by you know eight times the original goal and that becomes a news event itself you know people want to write about it want to talk about it it's probably a lot easier to to get a PR during this period of time as well so you already had the store live before the campaign ended or how did you like what kind of planning did you put in in just in case anyone else out there is planning to launch a Kickstarter campaign and wants to make sure that their transition to Shopify you know is done in the right order? Like, When did you start uh, working on the store itself?
1: So we started kind of putting all the the good thing is if you have run a campaign, you have all the content. You probably have more content on Kickstarter than you would ever put on an online store. So if you were to compare our Kickstarter page with our Shopify uh, because the audiences are also slightly different, people on Kickstarter are looking for technical details are looking for a lot more um, kind of Information about the team and such uh, so you have all that information uh, on, on a regular e commerce website for uh, electrical for a kind of a household product like ours uh, the product is the start not the team right so we kind of toned down that, that part because people are, are coming there with a need and want to see how this thing is going to solve it and we have we've uh, we've basically proven our um, credibility by you know shattering our goal and kind of being already kind of um, moving towards production. So one is that you already have the content. You can just kind of uh, make it a little less crowded and more focused uh, on the homepage of your Shopify store. And we basically had it all designed the week prior to finishing our campaign, and we're just ready to kind of switch our homepage URL, smartnora.com, from redirecting to... Kickstarter to basically point to the Shopify store.
0: I see. So that's an interesting thing you're saying earlier about how on Kickstarter the the audience that's on there, the customers that are on there are more interested in learning about the team. And that's like an you know, almost gonna they're putting on like their investor hat, right? They want to make sure that the team is is credible and not so much I know they obviously care about a the product, they obviously want to have the product, but the trust itself comes from knowing about the team. But when it comes to a store on Shopify, they care more about trusting does the product work or they care more about learning about the product itself and could care less about you know, the, the team behind it or not li- nearly as much as, as the audience would care about that's on Kickstarter. I didn't think of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so you're saying that there's, uh, there was a lot of residual traffic coming in and you kind of hinted at this just, just a second ago, but how did you drive that traffic that was going to Kickstarter now to your Shopify store?
1: So one is that with the new Kickstarter design, when your campaign ends, you get a page. That's kind of a storefront page with a link that you can link to any page. Uh, so that comes to our homepage, which is our Shopify store.
0: I see. So there's a button now on your Kickstarter uh, page, you know, which, which has ended, but it says pre-order now. When I click on that, it brings me to your Shopify store. Exactly. Gotcha. That's cool. I don't think they had that, you know, obviously this is a new design change, but before I heard that you wouldn't even be able to edit your page once the campaign ended. But I guess now they're giving you this ability to to decide where to drive your traffic to after this, which I think is uh, it's a great move You know, for them and obviously for anybody that's launching a campaign like you guys. Um, so now that you're in this period between the end of the Kickstarter campaign, are you just in like full production mode right now? Because you know you guys maybe only planned for 100000 dollars worth of pre-orders, but now it's eight hundred thousand dollars. Like how how hectic has it been since the campaign has ended? Uh,
1: very. So <laughs> it's been it's been great. I mean, the, one of the things that we didn't anticipate as much was all the opportunities that come from kind of being on the homepage uh, top. Popular products on on Kickstarter for a whole month. Uh, There are so many relevant companies who pitch their services to you because they know what you're going to need over the next year, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, a big part of it for us was to capture all of that and filter down based on what we need. So, uh, made our job easier in some respects. Uh, Some great partnership opportunities came out of it. And uh, yeah, now we are in full kind of production mode. Our days are spent talking about the details of the product and Designing for manufacturing, and uh, that's where that's where you start to actually kind of uh, go from something that you're building in low quantity to making sure everything can be actually put together uh, in thousands and thousands, right? Uh, so a lot of interesting uh, puzzles come with it, uh, from part selection to reorienting a few pieces where you all of a sudden can assemble them together in a fraction of time compared to what you have originally imagined it.
0: Yeah, I we'll definitely want to talk about the, the production and the manufacturing in a second. But you said something in there that I thought was really interesting, which was the, about how, uh, you know, once, once you have some success, success attracts a lot of opportunities, which is which is a great thing. You know, all of a sudden you're getting momentum and you start to snowball, and all of a sudden there's a lot of tension on you. You've proven that you can, you know, run a business or you've proven that you can market, and all of a sudden a lot of people want to work with you. Um, and this is obviously a, a, you know, a good problem to have because it means that a lot of people see, a lot of potential in you and, again, a lot of opportunities. So how do you figure out who makes sense to even spend time to talk to or to explore with? Because it sounds like you had a lot of opportunities. You narrowed it down. Tell us like your process for narrowing down opportunities.
1: I think the process also comes down to tools. One is that I use Yesware for my Gmail. And I have all these templates uh, that uh, are mostly there to give people who are interested the information that is important to them. And then I can also add the personal message to thank them for their interest and all that. Uh, But from distributors to potential PR to potential uh, partnerships, uh, basically I make sure to categorize all of them in a Trello uh, dashboard that I have. And then every couple of weeks or months we just kind of sit down and see, okay, so which one of these is actionable? But we, what we found most important is to not get distracted with all those options mm. and just kind of you have to try very hard to block off uh, a few very key days every month and sit down and make your own plan and then kind of go out and see what, which one of those opportunities match, uh, match that because it can get very distracting. right? Things, can, things are coming to you out of order. Uh, people who are mm. interested in distribution in you know, Australia and Singapore are talking to us now. And that's, you know, a little ways off, but it's important to capture it, but not get distracted with it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a a very important thing to learn. That's almost a requirement to have if you want to have success, because to be successful, you need focus. And to, to be able to focus, you need to say no to more things than you say yes to. And obviously you don't. Obviously, you want to do that because you don't have the time, energy, resources to pursue everything. So how do you guys say no? How do you, when an opportunity comes along, like distribution in another country, another continent across the world, and you know it's something that you want to get to eventually, but it's maybe a year or, or a year and a half away from today, how do you manage those expectations or manage that kind of relationship that's not going to really come to fruition for you know many, many months?
1: So one is I would just tell them exactly that, that we are really appreciative of their interest, uh, and maybe in three, four months will be the right time to start that conversation, to make sure we capture their contact info and what the conversation was, and put a timestamp on it so we know which month we have to revisit, or uh, either a timestamp or a category, so distributors, uh, PR, et cetera, et cetera. So we know when we are doing our 2016 PR plan, here's, here's all the opportunities we could kind of plug in.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely want to get to your, your PR as well because you guys have a ton of press for your, your product and it sounds like you have uh, a lot of plans for, for you know, attacking this kind of you know, marketing channel as well. Uh, before we get there though, let's talk about the manufacturing process because that's a very you know, fresh for you guys. Um, did you already have a manufacturer lined up for, before you, you launched a Kickstarter or what was that process like to find one?
1: No, we didn't actually. When we started, the pro and the process has been basically um, the, we had the benefit of being in touch with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who've done hardware, software products. So their factory is always a question and introduction away, uh, and you can basically, you know, look for again the very supportive community. So you can look for products that kind of uh, look uh, similar, have similar functions on parts, and then go have a conversation. Uh, with within your network to see uh, if they can uh, make an introduction, and uh, it's definitely something to take very seriously. You know, manufacturing is where hardware companies uh, often fall apart, get delays, mm-hmm. go bankrupt. So we are we are right behind all of that. So uh, early in the right after the um, Lunar New Year, uh, which is going to end in three months, we are going to actually go for our first your visits so uh, lots lots to do there
0: that's awesome so you know one thing i've always heard from other manufacturers that uh or other uh, stores that work work manufacturers that they always look for some some company that already has experience producing something the same or very similar you know but you guys aren't producing like um, sunglasses or anything else that's you know pretty straightforward to produce that already has manufacturers producing it you guys are producing something that's not or that I have never seen before did that complicate things by a lot and how did you how were you able to choose the right manufacturer to work with. It
1: is, it is almost like you say. For example, if you look at our product, we have some plastic parts. So there are a lot of people who do that. There is a soft pack. There's a lot of people who do that. So for us, it's actually a practice of finding the best of in each of those categories. Mm. And then you find one contract manufacturer uh, who is physically located in reasonable distance to all of them and can bring all of that in and assemble your final product.
0: I see. So you worked with the best manufacturer for particular parts, and then one, I guess, main uh, manufacturer that put everything together. That's right. Gotcha. So did the scale of the pre-orders change your approach at all to to the manufacturing or supply chain that you maybe already planned out uh, before? Because you know, planning for hundred thousand dollars of, of sales is different than planning for you know almost a million dollars in sales. So what was that? Uh, did that change anything at all?
1: It changed everything. <laughs> So one was that we actually could go and you know, start a conversation with bigger partners mm. uh, that fit that size of operation. And uh, the other thing that it did change and we are kind of continuously revisiting is the testing process. Because if you're you know shipping around between 500 to 1,000 units, that's your first batch and you're going to uh, do an iterative approach from there and tweak things here and there when your first batch already is around 4,000 units, you want to do some of those tests earlier on and do those, those tests in actually bigger numbers. Um, so that's something that we're actually actively planning on.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So let's talk about the, the actual marketing that goes on today. Uh, the press that you guys were able to get during the campaign itself, was that just uh, organic people reaching out to you or did you guys have a plan of attack to get particular publications to write about you?
1: So as it goes with Kickstarter, the easiest method is to find other successful campaigns that were in your space, whether for us, for example, was sleep. And by going to all of those pages, you quickly see that grid of logos that they have. Mm. Uh, so you can quickly build a wish list out of that. Uh, so we created that wish list, started establishing some communication with them, and then once we started working with a PR agency, we gave them our uh, list as a part of our strategy, and we also gave them our wish list, um, of you know, opinion makers and thought leaders around space, health um, uh, that uh, we wanted to uh, start a conversation with or hopefully get covered right away.
0: Gotcha. So now that the Kickstarter campaign's over and that initial huge buzz that you guys had uh, is maybe not nearly as much as before, what is the plan this time around to get featured uh, maybe again on the same publications or on new ones?
1: So I think there's kind of a common uh, arc of how you go for a for a hardware product. Mm-hmm. And I think something I should just highlight here: these all these experiences and strategies should actually be drastically different for a project in a different category, right? Um, starting from the initial strategy of how you price things. For example, we didn't have any uh, reward categories on our campaign besides getting the device itself, because Fulfilling other perks, like a t-shirt or a poster, that actually can become its own distraction and logistics, right? So you don't want to create a bulk where it doesn't deliver the core value. And same thing with PR for us is about the product and the story behind it. And then as we go, uh, we get closer to shipping, we are fortunate to have um, all kinds of journalists uh, lined up to do reviews. Uh, so that's going to be the next uh, the next big thing for us.
0: Mm-hmm. So this sounds like you know just hearing you talk about it it sounds like a lot of things going on a lot of things to manage. Tell me about how you have your your team structure. Do you have a large team and you know what kind of roles do they all play?
1: So our team is an extended large team because we there's a lot of specialized skills you need earlier on uh, in a project like this and slightly different set of skills you need once you get past the initial stages. Mm-hmm uh so we have extended team who's uh, helping us with the engineering part with the mechanical with the electrical engineering with firmware and some of those roles are going to kind of stay in an advisory role um or when we go to product iteration number 2 and some roles like firmware for example uh by the way this is kind of a pitch for job up uh, for sending us your sure. resumes So, for example, firmware is something that uh, in a product like this, you want to kind of build internal capacity and keep that growing with the the company. Uh, And that's, again, something we've learned a lot from uh, talking to companies who are a couple of years ahead of us. And first thing they said was, be careful which which skills you internalize and which ones you work with on a contract basis.
0: Mm, Can you say a little bit more about that? So, uh,
1: for example, we know that uh, we really enjoy building a brand. We really enjoy communication with, with our backers and customers. Uh, so we know that PR and uh, brand management and advertising is going to be something that we always want to be hands-on with. So our design team is kind of the same team that um, we ran the campaign with. And the great thing about that is all of, all of those intense learnings in a period of, like, 30 days with so much communication and so much uh, PR coverage uh, is already in that team. The on, there is no onboarding necessary. So uh, similar to that is we have an iterative approach to our hardware product, to our software. Uh, so we know those are things that as a company we care a lot about and we want to be hands-on.
0: I see. So things that you care a lot about or you enjoy doing, are those the things that you decide to internalize and keep in-house? And then do you actively try to hire out or outsource everything else?
1: Not, not necessarily. I think there are some, uh, some things that uh, I think when you do want to hire out or outsource are things that are either really highly specialized that you can't afford, you know, for us as a first year in growing this startup, some, some skills you can't afford, or things, for example, like electrical engineering. Where you design some of those components one time and you're good for a a while until you need to swap out a piece or go for a redesign or you want to kind of do a revisit to reduce costs.
0: It's not an ongoing process.
1: Yeah, that's where you need uh, a, a full time person.
0: I see. Makes sense. Cool. And to, to manage all of this, I think you, you mentioned Yesware uh, previously. Are there any other tools or, or apps that you rely on heavily as a team to, to make sure that everything's running smoothly?
1: So number one is trying to avoid email. We try <laughs> to not send internal emails at all. Uh, it's hard sometimes. Uh, so Slack, obviously, uh, Trello, uh, Google Calendar, and Yesware for managing um, our communication. And we are starting to also look, uh, try a little more of being, uh, documenting all of our emails on high rise from Basecamp so that we manage all those contacts that are either future, potential, or are already kind of working with us. So we have a good, um, basically, database of all of the people connected with the company
0: gotcha cool so eight hundred and thirty thousand dollars was raised on Kickstarter can you give us an idea of how much you've been able to raise uh, since then or to to get pre-orders since then yeah
1: so actually just a couple of weeks ago we passed a million dollars um, on uh, basically from Kickstarter plus our Shopify store so yeah. it's been it's been going great and uh, full disclosure to this point we actually haven't done any additional advertising it's been all the residual uh, traffic still from all those uh, sources, BuzzFeed covered us as one of the cool products of two thousand and fifteen that 's been a recurring one. Uh, there are some uh, websites in uh, Sweden that are have great conversion rates for us, so we see definitely that uh, one blog or kind of one tech reviewer covers us in one region and that cascades out into newspapers and sometimes all the way to TV and then another blip somewhere else uh, in some other country.
0: That's amazing, you know, because marketing just consumes so much time, and if you get other people to help you do it for free, it's definitely going to free up your time and your resources to focus on on other things. I think that's um, a great kind of flywheel that you guys have been able to to, to tap into. Um, so, awesome, you know, so what, what's in store for the remainder of this year? You know, I know that you guys are still in the process of manufacturing a ton of things, but do you have plans on what you want to do with the product, Uh later this year?
1: So I think this year about is getting this product out, getting all the feedback, uh, kind of taking taking good care of our, our customer base. And we are actually really excited for that part. I think uh, throughout my career, I've gotten to design a lot of brands. I've gotten to <laughs> advise a lot of people on how to uh, design their messaging and run their communication. This is one of those kind of rare opportunities where I can actually allocate budget towards some of those things. So we, yeah, we're really looking forward to being really nice to people.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. You know, raising and pre-selling, you know, a million dollars is an amazing accomplishment. Did you, have you taken the time to be able to pause and be like, wow, we did all this in like a year, you know, went from uh, the initial designs all the way to pre-selling a million dollars worth of products in about a year's time. Has it hit you yet that this has all happened for you guys?
1: I think we are holding our breath a little until we ship it to people. But, yeah, there have been, there have been moments of celebration along the way. And that's something uh, I, I think is really important. There are uh, daily celebrations and there are you know, bigger kind of milestones, uh, but taking time to appreciate it. And, you know, it's, all of this is happening thanks to an amazing team here. Uh, that's that's one way we fuel ourselves
0: yeah I agree I think sometimes entrepreneurs we push ourselves so much and has such great or you know high ambitions that we don't take the time to realize like wow we've already hit a milestone that we planned out you know six months ago a year ago and I, and I think when you don't take the time to do that, you kind of start to become more discouraged because you don't realize how far you've come. So, I, I totally agree that you need to take the time to celebrate, you know, not just uh, daily wins, but, you know, big accomplishments that you set out to achieve, you know, a long time ago. Um, cool. So, you know, thanks so much for coming on. So smartnora.com, S-M-A-R-T-N-O-R-A.com is the store. Anywhere else that you recommend that the, uh, the audience check out, they want to follow along with your, your brand and your, your journey?
1: I think that's it. The website is the place to go. Uh, we will start adding more updates as we kind of make progress towards shipping this to people. And, you know, if you snore out there, you might want to check it out and we might bring some uh, quieter nice to you.
0: For sure. Thanks so much, Behrouz. Thanks, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.